0: Welcome, welcome, welcome to Nodes in the Net, a weekly tangential irreverent conversation that caters to the interests of liminal trickster mystics like you, and like Richard L., who is the brilliant mind behind The Cormorant, a substack blog that I discovered through Charles Eisenstein's Sanity Project. Richard had a lot to teach me about uh, shadow work, loyalty, intelligence mindfulness, and just generally overcoming adversity. It was a fantastic conversation, and I cannot wait (laughs) for you to listen to it. Uh, Before we get there, though, I do have a couple quick announcements to make. You can find the Nodes in the Net podcast at creekmasons.substack.com, which is its new home. Uh, You can also find ways to contact me at just plain old creekmasons.com. And you can find all the links you need to get in touch with Richard and read some of his writing at creekmasons.substack.com. And while you're there, why not sign up for the newsletter? It's a pretty good time, and it's going to provide you access to essays like the one I am about to read, which was about the Barbie movie. I do do a little bit of media criticism in the Substack. Uh, primarily, I guess it's focused on like spiritual transcendence, alchemy, shadow work, that kind of thing. Certainly, though, another theme in the writing is the sort of like denaturalization of power, as Douglas Rushkoff puts it that deconstructing of the systems and beliefs and assumptions that are uh, sort of indoctrinated into us, acculturated, conditioned in whatever way you want to phrase it. And the idea behind it is to empower and to, uh, as once again, as Douglas Rushkoff puts it, trigger agency. All right, I think it's going to be a short intro this week, but I am still going to read part of this essay called Barbie's New Age Genius, which draws from the Cabalian and some of Dion Fortune's writing uh, to, you know, take kind of a new age lens to the Barbie movie, which I thought was really fun. All right, here it is. I am a fragile man, highly, almost desperately well-meaning, incredibly insecure, enduringly unsure of whether I'm worthy of love. I'm just Ken, as Ryan Gosling sings in the Barbie movie. Perhaps, like Ken, I'd even be in danger of being radicalized nearer to borderline incel territory were I not a happily married simp. But despite these character traits exposing me to feeling drained and vaguely nauseated after the succession of final act sack-taps that the Barbie movie delivered, I actually think it's more than worth a watch. The film's been simmering on my mental back burner, and as the flavors deepen, I'm more and more blown away by its spicy new age genius. It's a message of marriage between the divine masculine and divine feminine that each individual must undertake within their own personal journey. Most people People mired in consensus reality probably regard the label New Age simply as an insult to levy at any and all half-baked hippie bullshit. (laughs) I thought the same until our collective brush with mortality via the pandemic ushered in an initiation into the Wooniverse. Now I understand New Age to refer to a milieu that variously evokes wisdom amalgamated from multiple mystical sources, both Eastern and Western. Ideas are borrowed, for example, from both Buddhism and Ashtanga Yoga, from occultism and Kabbalah. The Barbie movie, whether intentionally or not, demonstrated mastery of the concept of divine gender that New Age philosophy seems to have borrowed from the Jewish mystic practice of Kabbalah, at least as it's conveyed by famed occultist Dion Fortune. With a little extrapolation based on the rule that the difference between medicine and poison is dosage, we can infer that there is a toxic form of expressing divine masculine traits that's basically defined by going overboard. With that in mind, the film's story can be summarized thus. Ken's story is about his journey from toxic masculinity to more balanced masculine and feminine aspects, and meanwhile, Barbie moves through effectively expressing masculinity before being coerced by Ken into toxic femininity, but ends up a balanced, fully realized, even transcendent, human being. All right, you can read the rest of that up at creekmasons.substack.com and find the links to get in contact with Richard L. there as well. I know you're going to love this episode, so I'm not going to waste any more time. Let's get right to it. do it live <laughs> <laughs> that's fine too <laughs> hello richard uh welcome hello. to nodes thanks for being a node
1: you are very welcome glad to be here and add another node in our conversation
0: yeah i i i love i mean already our conversation has been uh like really uh, engaging just, just in the, you know, few back and forths we've had since, I don't know, maybe we met in the sanity project or maybe I, I think I followed your Beatles essay onto Substack, and that's how we, that's how we first
1: interacted, right? Yes. I I, I think so. And then, and then it was over to the sanity project and we've been kind of going back and forth. Yeah. since. Th-
0: that uh, that Beatles essay is wonderful, and, and it's like it's so aligned. Do you want to like um, maybe give like a high level summary of of uh, what that one's about? Sure, sure.
1: It, it's a it's a metaphor of integrating the parts of ourselves that we like least, that we want other people not to know about, the ones that we're ashamed about. And they're generally generated really early in life when we are building our nervous system and our belief system and our operating system for being Mm -hmm. in the world. Every time we experience something that's scary or jarring or shaming or just some jarring thing as Mm -hmm. a child, I think of it metaphorically as a beetle is born in a burlap sack that we carry over our back that right. beetle is unconscious at that point we just don't even we don't even know we have a sack <laughs> but <laughs> the beetles accumulate You know, every time, Mm -hmm. and if you're a sensitive kind of kid, like I certainly was, you accumulate a lot of beetles. There are a lot of things that hurt so much you don't want to think about them anymore. In fact, they're dangerous. They're the thing that hurt so much in the first place. But each of them has a message, and on a what I call a spiritual journey, a journey of awakening and integration we learn to encounter each beetle consciously, uh, even to invoke them, mm. which generally takes the involvement of a community of people, because many of them are freaking invisible to us. Mm. We just can't see them by ourselves. It's just like, okay, yeah. you know, I, I need some feedback here. And, you know, if you're surrounded with other skilled beetle wranglers, they're very good at pointing out what they might be, kind of coaxing them out of the bag, out of the shadows, where mm. we we can start a conversation. It's like, you know, maybe maybe one of those nasty beetles says you shouldn't even be alive. Mm. You don't even deserve to live. You know, that's a gnarly one yeah do they do they get much gnarlier than that that <laughs> that deep deep shame of existence right and and to to have that beetle be remotely comfortable enough in the light and I guess you could think of them as cockroaches too they 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 tend to flee the light mm. so beetle wranglers make it safe for them to come into the light,
0: yeah. And uh, so like the way I'm, the way I'm hearing it is, or like the way I read it is it's kind of like elements of shadow in the Jungian sense. Uh, And you've absolutely used used the like light and shadow metaphors a few times. I think I'm on the right track. It's, it's sort of a, um, I don't know. I was, I'm, I've been reading this book about uh, parenting Called the conscious parent. It's by uh, Dr. Sarberry or Saberry. I'm not sure how to pronounce her name, uh, but she's a doctor of psychology. She has like a clinical practice, and her theory, or maybe it's like a common theory of uh, development, is that when we're kids, we have uh, you know sort of natural ways of showing up in the world, and. Uh, you know, like I, I might have been like you. It sounds like a very sensitive kid, and so it was normal for me to be maybe a little whiny or uh, to have large emotional outbursts at what were perceived by my caretakers as like small, <laughs> insignificant situations. Uh, and, and so my caregivers would um. You know, like, I guess, try to correct me or or try to help me fit into the society at large. and there there are all sorts of you know traumas and things that can become a shadow or or you know, one of these beetles. Uh, but a big one that I'm noticing as a parent and and as I'm like reparenting myself through being a parent is that uh, sometimes we're we're sort of, uh, encouraged to develop an ego self that is acceptable to the people around us while, uh, and, and that like, and that presses our authentic self into the shadow through repression or, or maybe even like we're praised extravagantly for something that we're, uh, that we're like a little bit good at. And then, that becomes the ego self, and it becomes uh, super dangerous to ever admit any weakness in that area or something like that. Does that make sense?
1: That makes perfect sense. I, I We were talking a little before. A large part of my life history was as, as an actor, as a performer. Mm. And those beetle wounds definitely helped me to develop uh, a way of seeing what other people wanted and giving that to them. So having very little sense of authentic self as okay, but I could put on the persona of other selves and infuse those other selves with lots and lots of energy. Mm. And my the end of my acting career came when I was just tired of that. I just didn't need to do it anymore. And it was a move towards taking that energy away from a a personality projection and purposefully stepping more into character, my own character. Who am I? What do I want? What's going on here? What's what's eating at me? What are these voices that keep yammering at me telling me painful shit? <laughs> right? Yeah. I
0: there's I mean, okay, so this is like it's, I think, fascinating. I drew tarot on the Creek Masons Discord just like during our first couple back and forths here. And it's always really fun to see the cards kind of reflect, uh, you know, what I might expect from the direction our conversation has already gone. We got the Seven of Swords, which mm. is a, a little dude who seems kind of smug. He's carrying five of the swords on the card and he's kind of like doing this like tiptoe sneak kind of prance away uh, with his swords. And there's like a, maybe a military encampment in the background with like tents and stuff that are um, kind of like elaborate. And, and, uh, and he's leaving two of the swords, two of the swords he, he's not able to carry or he, I don't know, they're a distraction or something. Um. But swords are the card of, uh, of intellect. It's it's the suit of intellect, I should say. Like a sword represents a thought, the same way that you can analytically divide the world up into pieces using your cognitive capacity. A sword yes. kind of cleaves things apart, right? And yeah. so this guy who's like sneaking away with his swords is like, I mean, he's a beetle wrangler. He the, the sort of the keywords of the card are like sneakiness and, um, and like goal setting and, and things like that. But, um, but just the, the image of him, like with his swords and a lot of the times uh, on many of the cards, the swords represent sort of like anxious ruminating thoughts, I think. Mm -hmm. Or at least that's, that's always the, uh, the lens I take to them because I have so many anxious ruminating thoughts, no matter what, when I'm drawing tarot, like that's a pretty accurate reading to say, oh, you're anxious and ruminating again. Um, but, (laughs) uh, but that's, that's what, that's what card we drew, um, I can I can look up some keywords unless that's already sparked something for you.
1: Yeah, yeah. What it what it sparks in me is the 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 sneaking part, the stealing something that I need. Mm. I had a beetle that I was aware well, I wasn't conscious of it, but one of my beetles as a young child was that I was learning disabled. Mm. Because I hated, hated, hated school. Absolutely. It, it just, oh my God, it wasn't only a waste of time. It was being bound. Yeah. It was being imprisoned. It was being forced to regurgitate shit that had nothing to do with my life. Right. Right. And just forced to go through that regimentation process was extremely painful. Mm. So, and, and there were some things that, that because of extreme anxiety, I, in the third grade, um, our school got a computer. This was in probably 1971, something mm. like that. Uh, and it was a big, it was called a teletype. And it was in a room way down the hall. It was in its own room, and it was huge. It looked like this huge monstrous typewriter, and mm. it it sounded like ta, 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 and the whole <laughs> room was shaking as it was typing out these math problems. Mm. Just being in the room was totally overwhelming. Yeah, to me, all the noise, all the machines, all the movement. I was freaked. And I remember very specifically, you know, getting stuck on it, you know, chattered out what is eight plus five and just being stuck there. I couldn't picture the answer and just, you know, if you were really good, if you just hummed through this process, you would get a printout that was very short. Mm. And if you weren't good at it, you would get a printout that was several feet long. (laughs) And you had to carry your receipt back to the classroom and show it to the class. Oh, wow. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. And all the (laughs) quote-unquote smart kids came back with their little short receipt. And I come in with six foot of receipts. Yeah. Of try again, try again. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah. You know, and that full-body shame feeling. uh, I get it in my guts. (laughs) like right between my guts and my heart feels like I've been punched in the solar plexus Mm. and kind of a, a body full body sheen of sweat. It was like my hands, sweat, arms, sweat, everything. Just not so much that anybody else would notice it, but I notice it. It's like a panic reaction. Yeah. So I identified. And and on top of that, my older sister was a straight A student Mm. and the absolute apple of all of her teacher's eyes, so when I came along a couple of years later, they went, Oh my God, your barbarous brother, she was the best student I ever had. oh no the oh, no. <laughs> the comparison, oh no, and I was not I was just not that i was i I hated being there in the first place, getting gold stars didn't mean anything to me yeah it, it just it just didn't being able to do crap on the playground that other kids couldn't do like climb on top of the swing set and tightrope rope across the top that was what i was into yeah because that yeah, was so impressive would you say you were
0: more like a physical person than a than a you know a trapped person i guess like very much ready? Nobody likes to be trapped in school. The the whole uh, project of you know post industrial education is just to get us used to following commands uh, that are arbitrary, basically from our you know authority figures, right? Like the right. So, <laughs> so nobody likes it, and it's unnatural. And but some people adapt to it with glee. Yeah, some people do seem to thrive in that environment a little bit more than others.
1: Yeah, it, it just, I, it, it, for whatever set of reasons, it didn't stick. It, yeah. it just didn't take. I, was, I, I, went to, I went to every class I ever went to with a figurative two middle fingers up in the air. <laughs> yeah. So I would just put my head on the desk and sleep. Whenever I could, uh, it it was just worthless. Yeah. So that's and, that's
0: one of the Beatles, then, right? I mean, it's how definitely you, one of the Beatles. How, what do you what do you say to that Beetle when it like demands your attention? You know, I think there's a lot of people listening probably who have a similar Beetle.
1: Uh, yeah, yeah. the The Beatles' message is: uh, you're brain damaged. Mm. You'll you'll never figure it out. Yeah and, and all these beetles were from my dad. And my dad was a trauma surgeon. Oh wow. So he couldn't he couldn't afford to make mistakes. Mm. If he makes a mistake somebody dies. Right. So he was going through you know, residency and internship and all these things when I was really, really little. And they put them through hell of 80 hour plus weeks. So by the time he got home, he had nothing mm. as a father. There was no connection there at all. And, you know, little three, four, five, six year old kids are loud. Yeah. So we're running around the house making all kinds of noise. And he just is a monster of shut the fuck up. Oh no. Leave me alone. I have to sleep. And he was right. I mean, I get it. Yeah. He was correct. Uh, you know, I'd probably do the same thing if I were in his position, you know, this was the mid sixties and you know, he was just doing the best he could. It's, it took a long time to realize that, but he was in no position to be an effective father yeah. uh, of making those nourishing bonds with his children. None of us. None of us. Yeah. So, I, you know, in response to that, I knew that I couldn't get everything right. So I learned the value of purposely getting shit wrong. Mm. And being kind of a class clown, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I would just, I would just fuck stuff up in a way that people would laugh. Yeah, and I think I always, that's, yeah, that's always, the way a lot of funny people get yeah. started. It's you know, it's survival. Right. Yes.
0: I I remember. I still think about it to to this day. Like it'll come up in meditation or something. I used to have this. Uh, this relationship with one of my teachers where I would um, in college, I'd like, I'd say the dumbest interpretation of whatever novel we were reading that week possible. <laughs> like just the, the like absolute worst, you know, like, but what would happen is she'd like ask a question and it would just be dead silence and no one would be willing to talk and then i'd be like whatever i'm stoned anyway i'll just say the first dumbass thing that comes to my mind so i'd like spit it out a couple people would laugh and someone would inevitably speak up feeling like they had to you know improve <laughs> our perception in her eyes you know what i mean yeah. like uh, as a as a class, we're not as dumb as that guy, and that was kind of like my role, you know. Yeah, yeah, the jester. Right. Exactly. The I like to I like to consider myself uh, somewhat of the trickster archetype. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah.
1: It, it's just you know mixing shit up, throwing curveballs into equations is way more fun than just going along with the boring crowd.
0: Yeah, I think so. So I mean like in terms of the Seven of Swords, we're we're like covering acting strategically. We're covering uh, you know, getting away with something. Yeah. There's like a there's like a deception involved and, and uh keeping secrets that we're that we're describing from our childhood. Um but I wanna I wanna like take a step back. The Beatle wants you to believe that you're mentally damaged. Yeah. But you're not. Like I've read your writing. It's very good, you know, <laughs> and it's like it's poignant in a way that I connect to. Um so presumably you're not like carrying that around in a way that it is debilitating anymore. I just I wonder like it um you know, but like when it when it taps you on the shoulder, how do you how do you bring it to the light?
1: Oh, you know it's it's still it's still there. It's yeah. still there. You know, part of the integration process sometimes is overcompensating. Mm. So by the time I got to college, uh, I identified as the smartest guy in the room. Oh yeah. You know I. I usually just had a conversation with the professor while everybody Mm. else sat on their hands.
0: And eventually,
1: the professor just had to say, okay, let's hear from somebody else. (laughs) Duh. Right. Duh. You know, so I projected that dullness onto other people. Mm. You are the dullards. You guys – Must have been dropped on your head because you have nothing approaching a a, a creative, innovative thought. Right. What are you doing here? Yeah. So that critic, the projection comes out. And over time, it became clear to me that in some things, I'm really, really smart. In other things, I don't know shit. I'm a blithering idiot and becoming more at peace with that infinite nature of my ignorance and just going yeah well it's okay i will not live anywhere close to long enough to learn all the things i would like to know but i'm yeah. i'm on the road i'm in the process and i'm i know i'm not an idiot and i don't have mm-hmm. to i don't have to be that asshole who you know lords it, verbal art skills over people who don't have them. So it it was kind of turning the tables and being a bully, being an intellectual bully.
0: Mm. Yeah, that's what happens when uh, when we're kind of, or uh, at least when I am uh, unbalanced in uh, some characteristic or unwilling to accept some characteristic of my personality or unwilling to even acknowledge that it exists as a part of me is, like, <laughs> I, I feel like it might have been Confucius who said, anytime that you uh, observe, a, like, detestable behavior in someone else, mm-hmm. it's an opportunity to look inward and figure out, like, in what ways you are personally representing that characteristic or that that behavior
1: i like to um, ask the question because I, I still you know of course we run across people who piss us off mm-hmm. and i just start by asking the question is it possible that what i see them doing is a reflection of something i do yeah is it is it just is there a remote possibility and just sit with the question um yeah. and and follow it where wherever it goes. I don't know. Can we talk about any uh, med- medicinal uses here? Uh,
0: yeah. 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 I mean, if you're comfortable with it, I'm not like putting your whole name out on the internet or anything. Yeah, so, uh, no, no. You know, it, it's what, I,
1: what I've found is that the very judicious use of cannabis is a super mm. ally in this process. Yeah. You know, Bob Marley used to say the herb shows you to you. <laughs> Ooh, I like that. The herb shows you to you. And and I I interact with it like on a microdose basis. Mm. Like I'm a, I'm the cheapest weed date you would ever find. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm I'm like one puff and not even a big, huge bong rip or anything like just a pop off a vape pen and I'm off. Yeah, I'm good. More than that. And I get lost. Yes. Well, that's why
0: I had to quit personally. I, uh, you know, before I was diagnosed bipolar, maybe like 10 years ago, I was a, uh, wake and bake, you know, 24 hours a day kind of stone. I can't imagine that. <laughs> it was a lot uh but i developed i guess this almost pavlovian response to the like the taste of weed would introvert me so much it, like the you know it shows you to you i totally understand where that's coming from but if you like if you are looking at you a little bit too closely it can get
1: pretty uncomfortable oh it can get terrifying yeah, <laughs> especially if you if you can't really process it, if it's just all coming at you from all different directions, that's when that that paranoid sense of holy crap is the conversation I'm having in my head obvious to everybody around me. Yes. And how right. embarrassing. Yeah. It, you know, it's just it, it's traumatic in its own way. So, I'm always almost always alone. Sometimes I'll have these conversations like I I could have that kind of conversation with you, no problem. And with my best friends, but it is truly microdosing, Yeah. And and that's the way it works in my body, in my nervous system. It's, I know it's different. It's different for everybody. So I, It, it is. Yeah. It, for
0: me, like, I mean, even back in the day, you know, a dozen years ago when the only pot available was like the, you know. It was like brown and and dried out and and flaky, you know. Oh yeah. And like now I live in a state where pot is legal. And well, I'm in Colorado. uh, So so. Yeah, there you go. Uh you go to a dispensary these days and you're basically buying low grade acid. It's not even I don't understand how people smoke that stuff, but you know, even back in the day, it was like a coke high or something. I would get you know, just because of my unique uh, neurochemistry or neural wiring or whatever it is, Um, the like, what I think is really valuable about pot. And I'm just learning recently that this is something that my brain does naturally because of my bipolar disorder. Um, But I think that, um, you know, even neurons that aren't directly wired together can sometimes fire together. If there's a surplus of dopamine in the system Mm -hmm. and dopamine is like the pattern seeking chemical. So it helps you like make metaphors and connect disparate events that like aren't, you know, related. And so uh, I think like, if you're introspecting with marijuana, like one of the ways that that can be really valuable is that like, if, if I'm, observing a behavior in someone else that I find like super disgusting. And I, I also do that exercise where I like turn it inward and I'm like, in what ways am I reinforcing this in the morphic fields that we all belong to? Right. And in what ways am, am I like just projecting something I don't like about myself onto this person who I've made a villain or, or, you know, that is pissing me off. Yep. And, in order to like come to a good answer about that sometimes you need to connect like completely unrelated events and being able to i i think like make up myths about yourself from the the combination of all these different events is kind of i don't know it's it's definitely a benefit of pot and it's uh something i'm uh i guess you could say fixated on <laughs> in my own personality. It's it, like it's the reason that I'm constantly writing on Substack. It's mm-hmm. uh, it, it feels like a, a kind of natural inclination, just because that's the way I ended up uh, wiring my brain, or yeah. or you know this is the brain I'm born with, or whatever you want to say.
1: Yeah, And you're you're exercising that neural circuitry in expression instead of having it just clog up inside of you unexpressed. Mm, I like that way of putting it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's somewhat connected to that. So a further strategy for dealing with the intellectual superiority beetle was realizing Mm. that I needed to work with people who had, extremely limited cognitive ability. So I spent 15 years in the developmental disability field Oh, and learned that just because people show up as, you know, what clueless people would call retarded, they still have amazing qualities going on that are almost always invisible there was ah. there's one one woman with Downs syndrome, and mm-hmm. we were particularly close and you know she loved humor, she just loved to laugh, and I knew how to put, punch her buttons like all the time she was very affectionate, yeah. you know if I walked by and just put my hand on top of her head and kind of jostled her hair, she would just you know light up and laugh and laugh and laugh. Other yeah. people had a lot of problems with her. And she mm. could immediately identify anyone who was full of it. She knew. Yeah. She freaking knew. And she didn't like them. So if they asked her to mm. do something, she would basically go, no, no. <laughs> if, yeah. if they couldn't meet her on an authentic level, she had no time for them. And if they pushed it, she would go ape shit on them. Oh, wow. I mean, flip a switch and just go savage. Yeah. Right. <laughs> that was like, yeah. was like oh. But she also had the ability, it it felt to me like she could consolidate a ball of energy in her heart and launch it like a Roman candle at my heart. Ooh. Just boom. Wow. And I could feel it, and it just went through my heart into my whole body, and it was bliss. It's just absolute bliss. Who that, do you know who has that ability? Uh, I mean, very few people.
0: I I definitely uh when she's on one, my wife has that ability. Oh wow, uh, that's beautiful. Yeah, I'm I'm really, really lucky with her. It just like uh there's like a unconditional love kind of uh emanation that Uh, that some people seem to be able to do, or like it's a Kundalini energy or something.
1: It's some magic. It's some form of
0: magic. It is. I think so. Yeah. It's like a whoosh, you know, and you just feel like warm and full. It's something I've been like kind of trying to like train myself to do, like get into that heart chakra space and build that vibration and that energy and like, you know, I've got like a meta practice and I've got a meditation practice and, you know, I've, I've been like dabbling with this guy, uh, Paul Selig, who's a medium apparently. I mean, I always say apparently because, uh, I, I don't necessarily want to like fully associate myself with that level of woo, but at the same time, I'm pretty, I'm pretty spellbound by it. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, his like claim to fame is that he can channel these beings without bodies who uh are attempting to like wake humanity up in this moment and you know drive as many people as possible toward a sort of consciousness ascension kind of situation. Well, right um, on. Yeah. So it's like it's already stuff that I'm like I I'm aligned with. Mm. Um so regardless of whether it's coming from him or coming from, you know, souls or whatever Uh, the, the like hermetic philosophy and anarchist philosophy Mm -hmm. and uh, you know, like Eastern mysticism that he espouses is something that I really vibe with. And so anyway, uh, these guides is what he calls them. The guides have uh, these like intonations that you can practice Uh, Where, like, if you go out to the dog park, that's a common one for me. And you're observing everyone around you. You can say something like, "I am love through all those I see before me." Word, I am word, and you can feel it in your in your heart. And just like a mat, there's a bunch of these different, like, I guess you could say affirmations or incantations, and you can you can feel like the something good is happening you know but it's it's really cool that you like i mean this person um what was her name genie if if that's a, say it again genie genie yeah like there are some people who seem to like have no need to earn those powers through education they're just naturally uh,
1: capable in that way, and I think that's that's just really amazing. It's a it's a spiritual gift, and there and she's not the only one. That's that's just one. There there are other types of gifts that are just off of the high cognitive executive function spectrum that they have in abundance, which are really diminished and non-valued by this society. Mm. They are not able to sit at a computer and whiz through the computer or write essays or do any of that stuff, but uh, clear expression? Oh my god, they've got us beat by miles. It's like the, yeah. the governor holding in authentic expression just doesn't exist. Mm. So you know they they lean in the direction of getting pissed off at somebody there is no mistaking that <laughs> and yeah. and people have to learn to be very conscious of how they show up and yeah you know it, 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 there's there's so many things in this journey i mean back in the back in the 80s i went i dropped out of college after 3 years of pre med which i just fucking hated and knew that I had no intention of going to med school. So I dropped out. And six months later, yeah. I was in Ringling Brothers Barnum & Bailey Clown College. No way. Yeah, way. Oh. Yeah. That's awesome.
0: I actually had a clown on, like a, a professional clown, uh, just a couple episodes ago. He 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 did clowning for, um, what was it? It was like charismatic Christianity or something like that. So he was like he was clowning to uh draw people into the um like i think it was like a pentecostal church or something
1: oh wow like that. that has to be trippy
0: yeah but you were you you did it too or did you did you like graduate
1: cl- clown college can you juggle and stuff i graduated clown college and i got hired on the show did you really so i wonder if i saw you I, that's uh, yeah this is this would have been in early 85 yeah this was been in an early eighty five on the east coast okay and the the clown college itself was one of the most intense processes I have ever ever been through uh just pressure if you want to know pressure, try making a group of fifty clowns laugh. oh wow, oh yeah oh God. yeah and and I learned a super super valuable lesson. I just heard the doorbell go off upstairs so i am going to let's take a pause
0: i got to i got to use pause. the
1: restroom actually let's it's take a time. pause Yeah.
0: awesome and we're back <laughs> you were just about to explain uh the rigors and pressures of uh clown college <laughs> which... it, it was
1: it was boot camp it was boot camp, was boot camp. We, <laughs> we got into the arena at 7.45 every morning, and we never left before 9 o'clock at night, every day. I was six days a week. We had Sundays off, but, you know, we're in juggling and stilt walking and unicycling and wow. pie-throwing classes. <laughs> <laughs> pie throwing classes. You know, and, and everybody's competing with each other. You know, who can be the funniest and on the weekends mm. on Saturdays we had to present a gig or a gag that we had prepared over the course of the mm. week with some of our other classmates and i learned the one of the biggest lessons of my life um i i had been an mc before i know how to speak in front of people and i know how to do shit with my voice so i thought i would be the ringmaster and mm-hmm. introduce this gag in front of this audience of 50 competing clowns and all of our faculty. Uh, these the, Our faculty includes some freaking famous clowns, historic clowns. Uh, oh, wow. If you know clowns, you know who Lou Jacobs is. Well, he was in that audience. You know, truly legendary, yeah. funny dude. And I walked out to to introduce and say the ladies and gentlemen thing and just use the biggest, loudest baritone I could, ladies Mm. and, and right as I went to say gentlemen, my throat closed Uh and it made a squeak. Oh no. And the whole freaking group died laughing (laughs) because they knew I had authentically fucked up. (laughs) And I felt embarrassed. I felt truly embarrassed that I had fucked it up that bad. And then I I held up my finger and said, Wait, I'm going to do it again. And I'm going to get it right this time. You know, I'm not saying any of that. I'm just body languaging that. Go into it again. Ladies and (laughs) top. And they died again. They just, that got me a job. Oh, yeah. That that, (laughs) wholesale failure got me hired
0: yep it's the it's the vulnerability it's the mistakes it you know it's that long sheet of uh tele something (laughs) the ancient computers of of the 70s sorry Uh, uh, i'm not that much younger than you but like the the long sheet that you bring into the class like if you uh show that off you know as opposed to trying to hide it or stuff it away or whatever, right? Uh, people connect with that, and that's that's when you, that's when you like actually form uh, relationships, right? I yeah, I
1: just didn't know that. I I didn't know yeah. that at the time. I you know, of yep. course, I'm still operating under a trauma surgeon's programming. Yep, you got to get this shit right, and the stakes are life and death. So, my wiring my neural programming is programmed for shame at failure right and i got a rewiring in that moment of hitting the jackpot in front of an audience of clowns that yeah. spontaneous big boom of just real authentic laughter and i learned you know, you know comedy is when you're super super confident in something and you want to strut your stuff and then you just Mm. fall, you just fall face down and and just pratfall. And if you do it authentically, it's funny. If you, if you control it too much, and this is the art of comedy, if you control it too much, it's not funny at all. Yeah. You know, it helps to make the mistake. Right. And there's like a,
0: there's a level of like give and take with the audience that like, They have to be on your side and believing in you and trusting you to be authentic in order for the gag to, to go off. Like they're going to, they're going to read through the pretension, right? They,
1: they just know it's not funny. Yeah. They, they know funny when they see it. And if it's not funny, they just sit there like freaking statues staring they might as well be on an observation deck watching heart surgery. You know, they're just mm-hmm. looking at your bad technique. Yeah. Until somebody makes a humiliating mistake. That shit's funny.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, right. So yeah, yeah. You know, d- worth its weight in gold all that experience worth its weight in gold i did not stay with the show for very long being the sensitive 22 year old that i was the the way they treated the Mm. animals the elephants the tigers everything just appalled me it fucking made me sick i was like i can't do this i am so not down with this this is it just it just was so wrong to me it was depressing It was depressing. The juxtaposition of being in these, you know, really expensive sequin colored outfits Mm. and just the band and the lights and everything is hype, 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 hype. And I'm standing out there in the middle of it in the center ring of three rings and I'm looking up the audience and I just want to die. Yeah. I just want to die because it's, it just hurts. It hurts. And then, uh i i couldn't i couldn't do it i i just left and, yeah and-
0: i'm i'm finding myself crying thinking about factory farms a lot lately like i don't know maybe it, this is like a, a a feature of tiktok that i've discovered where um you know like my wife and i share an account and she's like super into the adorable animal videos. So we get a lot of farm content and I don't know what it is. Maybe it's like having lived in the suburbs or the city my whole life. There's something very romantic about the idea of like moving somewhere where your neighbors are a mile away and you've got your own land and you're feeding yourself and you're sort of, I guess, like divorced from all the unethical consumption that's mandatory under capitalism. Sure. That little house on the prairie ethos. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I guess maybe like I'm, I'm descended from settlers or whatever. It's yeah. like, that's still in my blood. But, uh, but the, the conditions, I mean, it's, it's just unimaginable that, that we, and the more that I encounter these like cute you know videos of like cows being intelligent or whatever yeah. you know like the the people who like meditate with cows and like yeah are like giving them sound baths and stuff, and the cows are like you know vibing with it and you know like very clearly communicating things with those big intelligent eyes or you know like goats or whatever any animal yeah that i've it's just the only explanation for the configuration of our food system is that we don't believe that animals are conscious or can experience pain. Right. And it's just, it's untenable. It doesn't make it like you spend like two seconds around an animal and you recognize how much intelligence and like soul exists there, you know, capacity for love and and nurturance and it, Yep. I'm. I'm with you. It's. I was thinking about going to the circus. I think it's coming near me, uh, or maybe it just left.
1: But well, Ringling Brothers, uh, they no longer exist. They they vaporized probably 12 years ago. And I, I think there's. I was ecstatic yeah. when I saw that. I was like, oh yeah. oh yeah, oh yeah, good. The rest of the population is finally catching up. That this yeah. is not okay. Yeah. Yeah. You know,
0: it makes me think.
1: Yeah, Yeah, go ahead. And at the the same time, you know, as that that super sensitive kid, you know, I've I've developed some thicker skin in my adulthood. And I've been vegetarian Mm. before in my life. But I decided that I really like bacon. Yeah. I love bacon. It's just like one of the most heavenly foods in the world. Do I understand that that pig has been factory farmed? And slaughtered and probably absolutely terrified. Well, I understand that way back in the Siberia of my mind. Yeah. Which is where I keep it. Right. You know, do I love a big ribeye steak? Oh, oh my God, yes. Oh yeah. it's just one of the best things do i understand the process of suffering that resulted in that steak getting to my plate yes i do and i keep it in the siberia of my mind this is a process of mm. consciousness all of us are on different d- different stages of this process of realizing you know what we say yes to what we say no to Mm-hmm. what what vibes with us what clashes with us and just just putting it out on the table as this is what exists in without all that shame attached to it it allows right. the beetle to remain yep. in the light you know yep. so i'll sit with this tortured cow beetle On the table, in the light, as long as I need to. Just like an alcoholic will drink as long as they need to. Yeah. No quicker than that. They will reach the terminal point either by death or by losing everything that they ever valued. It, It is their journey to finish on their terms. And any yeah. level of coercion by others to say, well, you just need to stop that. Look at all the harm you're causing. Blah 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 blah. You're just wasting wasting breath. Just go, I love you. I love you. Whatever it is. You know, you mm-hmm. you live out your path. And for the time being, for my well being, I'm gonna live out my path over here separate, but always know I love you.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The paths might need to be separate.
1: But the love is there. The love is there. The love, and, and it's a real mind fuck for that person. Yeah. They're like, it can, it, it can feel a bit like a betrayal, uh, you know, uh, bringing it back to the Seven of Swords. No question wow. about it. It does feel like a betrayal. If you love me, you wouldn't cut me off. And I'm like, going, well, I love me first. And I know what feels good and what feels bad. I know yeah. that I love you and I care for you. And the road you're taking right now is a different one than I'm walking. So I hope our paths cross at some point, but for now, I'm going that way. And I truly, truly wish you the best. And let it go. Yeah.
0: That's, I mean, that's balance, right? That's effectiveness. It's... uh it's recognition that we're all technically one unified thing, right? Mm-hmm. There's there's really no distance between us uh, any more than there's distance between the atoms that comprise my own body. Yeah, and simultaneously, I do have a certain level of boundary that around m- me as an individual that I'm able to control the permeability of. Correct. And. And yeah, it's like love for everyone, but maybe you you don't always have to take them to dinner. you know what i mean that's right you,
1: that's right it it It's a paradox to be to recognize that what we see is a lot less about them than it is about me, yeah, and oh my God. My God, I'm I'm like so not there. I, you know, part part of one of one of my Beatles overcompensations is I am a hero. I rescue the wronged. Yeah, I'm the one who Same. who rides in, you know, the night, and I ride yeah. in and I make that shit right. If I need to go full drill sergeant, I will go full drill sergeant. Where everybody else is standing around, I'll take action yeah you know so the, that that's the overcompensation for the weakling mm. you know just the one who can't do anything who's you know yeah, who's the, powerless. the depression to me is like falling into a well 50 feet deep with mm. a hard rocky floor and just shattering every bone in your body except your skull and you're there and it's dark and all you can see is one little bit of light way up there and you can't move and it hurts and there's no hope of ever getting out and you just wish you'd go ahead and die but you, but you don't yeah and and the message down there is this will never ever change this is right. it for all eternity and it's very yeah. convincing. It's really, really convincing. I mean, I get oh, yeah. why people check out. I get yeah. why people just decide, I'm done. I'm done. I'm I'm out of here. I'm not going to experience this eternal torment in this body. And yeah. I think it's something miraculous happens when people love us. Because even though they can't grok what it means to be broken at the bottom of that well, they can look over and – You know, shout down and go, I see you down there. That's all it takes. I see you down there and uh, never forget that I know you're there. I'm not sure exactly what to do, but I do know you need to know I see you. Yeah. Right. I see
0: your pain. Yeah. You know, whether I understand what it's
1: like to feel that pain. Yeah. Yeah. You know, And, and so many don't. I mean, pregnant. people who haven't experienced that profound yeah. depression level, it's, they just go, I, I I hear it and it makes sense on a cognitive level, but I don't really know what that feels like. And I go, that's okay. That's okay. Just that you hear it and accept it, that this is what I have gone through. Uh, it's enough. Yeah.
0: Right. Yeah, as long as as long as the the other it, you know the other person is like uh, validating the challenge that you're facing. If if I'm like if I'm reporting that everything in my life is absolutely miserable and it feels like it'll never change, what I don't necessarily want to hear is. Oh, but you know, everything's impermanent and Mm this, this will pass Mm -hmm. and you'll be okay. And you know, those things that have got you down, they're not really that big a deal. It's not the end of the world. You're going to be fine. Gaslight the shit out of
1: you. (laughs) Just (laughs) gaslight the shit out
0: of you. It doesn't work.
1: It's like, well, maybe if you just exercised more, you'd feel better. Oh God. Ah. (laughs) I, I can I can barely get up to
0: go piss. You know, like there there have been times I've considered I, this is like a Duncan Trussell quote, but I I vibe with it totally. Like there's times that when you're really depressed, you consider just like pissing the bed. Oh yeah, you know? like f- fuck it, w- what does it matter anyway? I'm decaying meat.
1: Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, it, but it's all dying. It's all in the process of disintegrating anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it
0: does it every time so far for me, though, it has turned out to not be permanent. And I think that uh, maybe that's one of the things that I'm developing a better understanding of, at least with my own rhythmic mood cycles Mm -hmm. is like my mania believes in my depression and my depression believes in my mania. Like they they both like neither of them is thinking like, oh, this is the real world now. You know, mm-hmm. there's, there's this expression in psychology called depressive clarity. And I think it's the meanest thing that science has ever come up with because people hear depressive clarity, you know, like, oh, when you're depressed, you're more able to see the world rationally and have a, a more in touch with reality view of how things are. But, um, that's, I don't know the, I, I just I think it's equally valid at both points and all the points in between of my mood spectrum that like it it feels like this right now and it won't later, you know? It's that that illusion of like I oh, this is the rest of my life. I'm going to be this depressed. Right. Or even this is the rest of my life. I'm going to be this manic. I'm going to I'm going to manifest and I'm going to you know, like touch people and I'm going to, you know, beam. Them. I love that the Roman candle from my heart chakra yeah. into the people around me and I'm going to lift their vibration and we're all going to dance in the utopian ascension. Yeah. But like in reality, you know, don't relax in that state, but recognize that it's, it's coming down. And when you're, when you're in that low place, you know, don't panic. Right. Cause rhythm compensates. But also, you know, feel it for as long as you have to. L- like you're saying about alcoholics, like we 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 will be depressed for as long as we're supposed to. Yeah. You know? As, lo- as long as and we need to. And the cows will suffer for as long as they're supposed to. And there's there's you know, right action that we can take, I think as individuals. That's like the action that we're called to take that that um is infused with self-love and respect for our own boundaries and uh, connection to all beings and, yep. you know, that combination of activity and receptivity. Yep. Um, yeah.
1: Sorry. I, were, were you going to, Oh, it, it's just, I, I, I think of dark nights of the soul as mm. they are initiations into yes. the ability to, be a force of healing, it's an initiation into realms of service that simply weren't available before. It's part of the gold that comes out of there. So when somebody describes being in that severely depressed place and they hear from another, I know exactly what that feels like. How can I help? Can I bring food? Mm uh w- what can I do can I can I take you to a clinic? Yeah you know let's talk about different ways I can support you because if you're broken at the bottom of that well, you're not very good at coming up with a plan. No yeah you yeah, you're least absolutely. able to come up with any kind of yeah. effective plan so if somebody loves you, they're gonna be there they're gonna show mm. up. And go, "Hey, I don't know exactly what to do. let's, let's come up with something together." Yeah, and, and not it's easy. I, you know so many times, I would go from you know being super productive and creative like you, and then all of a sudden disappear from the map, all of my friends, mm-hmm. well, they just disappeared, and I guess they assume that because I disappeared, I bailed on them. Right. And that just wasn't the case. I had fallen in a well and I needed somebody to stick their head over the side and go, Hey, what happened down there? Right. And very few ever do. You know, uh,
0: you know, what's, what, what it really like. It's, it's, it's great to be fed and it's great to be, uh, connected to professionals who can help, you know, it's great to be taken to a clinic. Sometimes it just calls for someone to like climb into the well with you and like read a book, yeah. you know, Yeah. and like just completely ignore you, but be conscious in your space. Mm-hmm. And, and just, uh, I don't know the like, I mean one of the most debilitating things about depression is the loneliness. Oh my god.
1: It just feels like everybody has left. And of course they would leave who wants to be around this disgusting energy. <laughs> yeah. I mean that's I mean that's not the truth but that's the beatle. That's the beatle. It's it's just I you know I'm down there covered in my own shit. Who who would want to sit with this well the people who truly love you will hold that fucking space, they'll deal with the shit. Because they love you. Yeah. And that's, that, yeah. that's a beautiful, beautiful thing. It is. If we have one person in our lives, and I have a, I have a number of them, who is able to do that, to hold that space... You know, those are the lifetime relationships. That's where my energy goes into cultivating those relationships.
0: Yeah. What do you, can I ask you a question? I know we're already at an hour, um, but like, I kind of want to, I want to get some closing thoughts from you. This is uh, profoundly relevant to my life right now. Mm. Uh, What we've been talking about for like, the last act of this conversation, yeah, profoundly synchronistic, um, and so I I kind of want to like direct a question towards you mm-hmm. uh, about like bringing it back to the Seven of Swords. One of the big uh, keywords, the first one on every list for this card, is betrayal. You know, it's a guy who's like sneaking away from the camp with the swords. He's like he's he's disarming this army or whatever. Um, and so I, when I think betrayal, I think the opposite, which is what you're talking about, which is, uh, that ability when you love someone to stand by them, even when they're in the, like the absolute pit of suck. Yeah. And, uh, and I think that that, that virtue is loyalty. Absolutely. And, you know, there's, um, Fuck! What's his name? I think it's Jonathan Haidt, who's a moral psychology researcher. Has like his in his work, they've identified like five uh, five bands of virtue that are available, and it's like you know care for the weak, and um, like group loyalty is one. And I'm not going to be able to name them right now, but like definitely uh, people tend to index really heavily on like one or two and let the other ones kind of slide mm-hmm. and, and not pay as much attention to them or not hold them as valuable mm-hmm. in the same way that like someone who's, you know, more fully virtuous might. And, uh and I'm recognizing lately that I'm one of those people. I don't necessarily, uh like have the, the loyalty thing fully figured out. And so I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't even know if like I'm putting too much on you by asking you this question. Uh, But it is kind of how I want to close. Like what, what, what do you think about the virtue of loyalty? How do you, how do you cultivate that? And, and, what is it? What, I mean like what is the definition of loyalty? How do you how do you even make that a part of your life?
1: I don't think there I don't think loyalty is possible without a deep integrity, mm. knowing yourself, knowing the relationships you form, knowing the power you have within those relationships for both benefit and for harm. And the more the more they interdepend, the more capacity for harm there is. It's just the physics of vulnerability <laughs> you, yeah. you increase the vibration of love and you have to confront the prospect of loss. But if you yeah. don't increase that vibration of vulnerability and seeing and being seen, then you stop growing in love. But then you have to sit also with the reality that it's going to go away and it's going to hurt. Mm. So I think the loyalty is, and this is absolutely a journey for me as well. Do I have that part of the spectrum lit up and thumping on all cylinders? Hell no. <laughs> but yeah, I I do understand in a different way now the power of, of writing shit through, you know, right. maybe in a relationship, maybe in my marriage, there's something that's just not going the way I fucking want it to go. And I'm impatient. And I go, well, maybe it's never going to even be available here. Damn it. Maybe I need to look for somebody else who can give me that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, Thank God! That's one of the benefits of just getting. I never thought I would live to sixty-one, but here, here I am. Um, Um, you know that's that's a seven as well. Oh yeah. Yeah, six plus one. Right, right, right. You know, another seven. Yep. And, And you just learn over time. Well, how many times have I felt that way? That this person is just coming up short. They're not going to be able to give me what I want, right? It's just—it's a very uh, immature way of looking at a relationship. And eventually, you got to realize there's nobody who's going to give you all these nobody. things you want. There, that person doesn't exist. Yeah. You know, w- 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 what do you want? You know, uh, Mother Mary and your favorite porn star at the same time? <laughs> really? seriously that's your standard
0: (laughs) you know uh the person i have in mind is i don't want to be a porn star but (laughs) (laughs) but uh we don't I, i would prefer not to get too deep into that but the the thing is it seems to me that uh what you want from other people is i mean there's never going to be the person who provides you with what you need, right? Because ultimately everything that you need has to come from you as th- I think, right? Like, it, the, I don't know, maybe I'm getting too real here, but it kind of feels like uh, everything that is like broken or hurt in you has to be healed through your own self-compassion, self-acceptance, self-love, and uh, and asking for other people to, like, meet certain needs or, uh, or like, heal certain wounds for you um, maybe doesn't work. And maybe relating as equals and not in, like, a hierarchical way where, like, you're the dispenser of, you know healing to me you know and instead we're on on a level and we're both just broken people who are trying our best to love ourselves maybe that's yeah uh maybe that's more along the lines of wow oh i think i need to i think i need to make a phone call um (sighs) that's insane that you that you brought me to that place um
1: Wow! What a meaningful conversation. Well, we brought each other to that place. I'm I'm looking at the very same things from a new vantage point now. So the beautiful part to me is it's a mutual gift made out of the unveiling. Yeah. Wow! What a joy
0: and honor and like wonder it is to get like to have a podcast, <laughs> you know, yeah. where like I get to talk to some of the t- just most interesting and wise people. Uh, and I'm so grateful to you for for being one of those nodes. This was, I just like, I'm overusing the word profound, but it really uh, helped me figure out some stuff that I've been trying to figure out for weeks. So I, I really appreciate it.
1: Oh, you're more than welcome. And likewise. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Is there
0: anything do you want? Do, uh, maybe I'll cut this part out if you're uncomfortable with it, but do you want to like plug your sub stack or anything?
1: Uh, my sub stack is called the cormorant. And um, it, it's, it's really in the beginning processes. uh, I think I just screwed it up trying to change something in it. I deleted the app and I think I deleted my whole account. So I, yeah, I'll, I'll figure it out, but knowing me, it'll take some time. Okay. Uh, but thank you again. And of course
0: I'll, I'll post that link, uh, up on, uh, the Creek Mason's blog and
1: Substack and stuff. So it'll be, it'll be easily found. Thanks for uh for for spinning some some cloth with me.
0: Yeah. Thank you, Richard. Have a have a happy rest of your week.
1: You too.